while we turned away from him, he turned his heart toward us. While we chased after selfish desires, he chased after us. While we made excuses for our misguided choices, pursuing an elusive sense of fulfillment, he emptied himself to take the form of a servant. This unthinkable inequity, our Creator clothed in flesh and weakness for the sake of those clothed in iniquity. While we were lost and alone, He became a path for us. While we embraced the comfort of falsehood, He embraced us and showed us truth. While we were eclipsed in shadow, our spirits broken and dying, He became life and light to all. Our shepherd, our teacher, our savior and king. And when it seemed the world had given up, He gave up everything. At just the right time, when we were powerless, He displayed His power and purpose. While we stood accused, He accepted the accusation. He endured humiliation and the untold suffering of crucifixion. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we deserved it, far from it, but because there has never been a greater love than the love of Jesus. Today, if you feel hopeless, He gives hope unconditionally. If you've been rejected, He accepts you completely. If your burdens weigh heavy, lay your fears and failures at the foot of the cross, for His blood has erased them entirely. No longer a slave, but an heir of salvation, you are His child, His chosen. You are His beloved. abortion I was in a really tough spot and everything was going on with my husband as far as you know him beating on me and things like that and I didn't have any um, family so I didn't really know what I was gonna do and I came down here to get the abortion I ran into Miss Lisa and she was the sweetest most kindest woman I ever met before I'm not really used to that I thought this was an abortion clinic I came down here and I, I, I asked her, how do I go about getting an abortion? I don't have any money, but I, I need one really badly. And she, she, just, she asked me to come in so she could pray with me. And I didn't really want to pray because I already knew what I was doing was wrong. But I, I just assumed that she was going to help me. And I didn't know that it was in an abortion clinic at the time. So when we went to the back, she prayed with me. At the end of it, she expressed to me how this was not an abortion clinic. This is a place called Positive Choices, and they help women who are in situations such as myself on how they can help me, how she can help me, how the place can help me into bringing my baby into the world and helping him get clothing and food and me situated with a job, and I'll be able to survive, and I'll make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm able to take care of my baby financially and be okay with being alone and finding, you know, love from God and, and not worrying about going back to my abusive husband. 
the ultrasound affected me a lot. Um, I remember seeing him flip around in my belly and then me noticing that he actually was a living being inside of me growing. It was really hard at first to associate myself with having a child, but when I saw the ultrasound, I realized that this I'm already a mother, so I don't want to leave him, you know? I don't want to kill my baby, and I'm already a mom. He's just not here yet. Lisa is someone I'll never forget. I don't think I'll ever forget her a day in my life. Lisa, she, when I walked into this place, I was not in a good spot at all, and um, I was praying to God. I was praying a lot. I hadn't moved out of my bed in weeks, and when I walked into here, I was distraught beyond belief. And she held my hand, and it felt as though she actually saw me. She actually noticed me. People living in this world is not really... Sometimes you feel invisible, you know? But for the first time, it was like Lisa had saw what I was going through, and she, instead of like just telling me, hey, this isn't an abortion clinic, like the people there at another place, she invited me in, and she said, I just want to pray with you. She wasn't trying to pressure me into anything, and she let me know how loved I was. And I never really had that before in my life. I don't have family. But Miss Lisa made me feel like a valued person. And ever since then, I told myself I was never going to go back. So, yeah. She said a lot of people, they, they go back and that I shouldn't. So, I've learned that there is kindness out here in this world through positive choices. I've learned that, you know, God always makes a way out of no way, even when things seem like impossible. I think sometimes he puts us in impossible situations just to prove to us that he's here. And even if you're at your lowest point and you haven't gotten out of bed and you don't see a way for you to have a future and you don't know if there's anything left for you here in this world, so you just kind of don't want the burden of having a baby, it's like, know that God will make a way for you, your baby, and you know, everyone. He loves all of us. He, he sees all of us and he hears our cry. And I just would advise not to abort your baby because he's always there. There's no need to feel scared or sad. I was contemplating abortion. I was in a really... Quite a testimony. Um, wonder how many girls are out there like that, that, or just need to be made aware of the life that's in them. And um, as believers, we know that every life matters, don't we? Every life. Just as a reminder of that, I wanted to uh, read this morning from uh, Psalm 139. Uh, we'll begin in verse 13 and then read through verse 16. If you'll stand with me as we read the Word of God together. The psalmist writes, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. 
I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And this is really important to hear. And in your book were, were all written the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. Did you know that it's been appointed unto man once to die? You're, you're not going to live a second longer than that appointment, and I'm not either. Um, my challenge to us as believers is that we get busy living for the Lord. That's what we need to do. That's what we've been charged to do by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank the Lord for testimonies like that. Thank the Lord for the ministry of positive choices. Uh, I actually thought the rep was going to be here today. So I guess I'm just the rep <laughs> and uh, filling in for the rep. So um, I encourage all of us, if we have opportunity to help in that ministry, I know there's some of our ladies that do that. But obviously, uh, they have needs financially as well. So you pray about how the Lord might work through you as, as we minister to people that we don't know. And that's okay, because this morning I was with Bill White, and I was in a jail cell this morning. They let me out, thank the Lord. Um, but Bill and I were in a jail cell with two other inmates, and I went to speak at the chapel. Last time, I think there were about 10 or so. This morning, only two got up. But uh, it was a great, great time. Um, you never know how the Lord is going to use them in your life. Um, it was amazing to hear just um, them speak, and the things going on with them, Bill and I committed to pray for them and um, so the Lord gives us lots of opportunities in life to uh, minister and I thank Bill White for his commitment to the jail ministry in Hoover and uh, if you ever if he ever invites you to go go I mean go they're not going to keep you and if you need to be kept I'll let them know beforehand <laughs> all right let's pray and uh, we'll start Father, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And as we start with songs this morning, I just pray that you would help us to um, just sing from a, a grateful heart. Because you are a God who deserves all the glory and honor, all the worship. I pray this morning that we've come prepared to do that. I pray that we've thought through what will take place today in terms of us singing about who you are. And then, Lord, as we look at your word and what you might have for us as we learn and as we apply the things that we learn. I do pray for the ministry of positive choices. Pray for all the ladies in this congregation who may serve in some capacity. And then, Lord, for the opportunities we might have to just give financially to support that ministry. What a tremendous ministry to support as we saw and heard testimony this morning. We just ask, Lord, that you would lead us by your spirit this morning and um, guide us into all the truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone.
Well, my heart's full this morning, and uh, I was going to share a little bit, and then a, uh, a young fella came up to me beforehand and asked, uh, he said his heart was full, and uh, he said he wanted to share. So, buddy, I want to go ahead and ask you to come up here and uh, share what's on your heart with us, and we'll get started in our time of worship. Everything's been said this morning. It's already God put on my heart this on my heart this morning, and uh, I was just gonna stand up like I usually do. But I thought Kevin's—he likes everything in order, <laughs> so I better just ask him if I could come up and say something. And Thad, I was afraid he'd talk me out of it, but I woke up this morning and God God just fill my soul and I thought I have come to give worship to the King of Kings the Lord of Lords the great I am our Savior who died for us and I said God it don't get no better than that then I thought, I can't wait, can't wait to get here. And I already forgot it because I always tell y'all first, I love every one of you. And God has blessed me with your friendships. And I know half of you think I'm crazy and the other half knows I am, so, you know, I'm at home. But I even love you, Jim. <laughs> But I got up this morning and I thought two words was on my heart all morning was focus, worship, and thank oh that's three words. <laughs> and thankfulness. And I thought, God, help me to remember that every day, not just on Sunday, but every day. We've got a lot to be thankful for. And I had you on my candy. Kevin was supposed to be standing next to me to help me. <laughs> and uh, But I thought, you know, guys, I need to feel like it every day. But I thought, i got to share this with you guys, that for 30 or 40 minutes, we should be able to come in here and focus, just focus on the Lord Jesus and give him worship together. And, and uh, you know, get all the clutter out of our, our minds and all the worries because we got a God that loves us and cares for us, and he's put us all here together, that we need one another. We depend on one another. And I always think about his, his little one, what she said the uh, other day, and uh, that's meant a lot to me, and it stays <laughs> here. The innocent of worship, the little ones, you know, that's what we need to be. And uh, 
And I thought, God, I can't, I can't wait to get to church and, and worship with these guys, you know. Get it all out of their system and just focus for 30 or 40 minutes through the music because I know it's going to be great this morning. <laughs> and, and the lady that was speaking, uh, I don't feel too bad because she had tears. But, guys, I just want to, I hope it's a word of encouragement to you because I do. I love you guys. I need you guys. And we need one another, and we don't need to forget it. We need to be willing to stand up next to our brothers and our sisters and love on one another, just care about one another. And I've had three ladies this morning talk about my friend over here. And she uh, she's a good teacher, and I was trying to encourage her. And I said, you look great this morning. And, and she says, well, I feel great because I was in the ladies' group yesterday, and they heard you speak. And uh, I thank you that you're the type of lady everybody loves and that you're always there for all of them. I would, I would mention your name, but I can't remember it. <laughs> dumb is dumb. <laughs> But guys, serious, uh, let's start off today in music yes. and give worship let's to our Lord, our Savior. And clear, whatever's in your, your, your mind, get it out for a few minutes. And let's give praise and glory to our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to hear it from us this morning. And he deserves it. He's one and only. God that will, well not God, God that will never forsake us. He's always there for us. He'll never, never leave us. And, there, and I thought about COVID. We all get sort of depressed with COVID and, and different things, uh, circumstances of life. And Why? I mean, we've got a God that's there with us, and he's bigger than any of that. And he don't get glory when we're so afraid of a, something called COVID, you know. Our God's not bigger than that. Our God's not bigger than whatever circumstance you're going through. He is. He'll get you through it. He'll get us through it. And let's give him praise and glory today. Let's just sit back, let everything go, and just praise the Lord this morning. Thank you. Everybody, let's all stand together this morning. If God be for us, who can be against us?
together. Water you turned into wine. You opened the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. And out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome in power. Our God. Our Into the darkness. Into the darkness you shine. And out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. There's none like you. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Singing if our God is for us. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And what can stand God is greater. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome in power. Our God. Our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? What can stand against? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger, God you are higher than any 
other. I got His healer, awesome and power. I got, I got. I got His greater. I got His stronger. God, You are higher than any other. I got His healer, awesome and power. I got, I got. Our God is greater, and um, I'll share very briefly what I was going to share at the outset of our time this morning. Over the last few weeks, um, I've heard testimonies from multiple people, and the common thread between them, and it should be a common thread among all of us as believers this morning, is the gentleman who shared in Family Matters last week, he made a statement, and he said, when I came to know Christ, I realized God was right. And I was wrong. <laughs> I think that pretty much sums it up for, for all of us, right? God in His grace has brought every one of you and I to a point in our life where we realize for the first time, oh wow, God is right and I am wrong. But the story doesn't end there. You guys know the story continues. We who have sinned against a holy, righteous, and just God have been provided a holy, righteous, just Savior. Lamb without blemish, not a spot on Him. That's a kind of love that only comes from God the Father. What, what kind of God is that? And in Romans 8, as we sang about this morning, if God be for us, who can be against us? Paul wrote that in Romans 8. And in 2 Corinthians, um, oh gosh, I lost my thought, guys. Um, I lost my thought, but at any rate, um, the point is, if this kind of God has this kind of love for us, that should give us confidence as believers this morning. Amen. Let's sing together. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And he Side of the Lord, humble thyself in the side of the Lord, and He will lift you up higher and higher, and He will lift you up into heaven. In the side of the Lord, humble thyself in the side of the Lord, and He will lift you up higher and higher, and He will lift you 
Sing this together. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom and power. And love our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom and power. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom and power. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with with wisdom and power. God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom and power. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Second Corinthians passage, I remember now. <laughs> God made him who knew no sin become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God made him do that. God, that was God's heart towards us. That's the kind of love we have from God the Father this morning. I want us to sing together. I think the Lord has prepared us well this morning, but it doesn't hurt to sing about it. Lord, even as we seek to give back and worship to you in spirit and in truth, we need your help. Amen? We need his help. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you let's sing that together Lord sanctuary pure and 
to sing. I think I figured it out for you, buddy. While you were talking, you do that with the microphone, right? So I thought, well, if we put a drumstick in his right hand, and I don't mean like a chicken leg, I mean like a drumstick, and we put the microphone here, you could just kind of talk like that, right? Because I'm convinced you're never going to learn how to hold a microphone. In fact, do you know, buddy, that I used to think it was kind of weird, but, you know, singers, when they sing, it looks like they're eating the microphone. I'm like, that's just disgusting, right? So, buddy's like totally opposite of that. I don't think you're ever going to eat a microphone. All right, well, have you ever picked out a pickle in a pickle jar and taken a bite of it and then made a face like this? Or have you ever eaten a sour Skittle? Any of you ever eaten a sour Skittle? If you haven't, you've missed it. Your dentist will appreciate it, but when you take a bite into that baby, it'll make your face do like that. I don't know if John the Apostle would appreciate my analogies, but... When you take a bite into First John, your eyes kind of do that too. There's a lot to consider, and um, it's not easy. By now, I've heard from some of you about your viewpoints of First John, and I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I was eating a scat, sour skittle when you told me. I, that's fine. However, whatever your viewpoint is. is 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 fine, but I think it's important for us now to kind of, I've told you there are different viewpoints, but to kind of look at those just a little bit before we dive into verses 8 and 9 of First John. We always need the help of the Lord, so let's ask Him. Lord, I need your help. We all need your help. And it's like Buddy said, we need our focus to be on you, our worship and our life to be centered on you, and our life to be centered on you. 
So help us by your spirit this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have a study Bible, then you're going to know that whoever you have notes right at the bottom of your page, you're going to know what their viewpoint is of First John. You're not going to have to wonder. You're just, they're going to tell you. Um, what's not always done, though, is there's not always a necessarily one who's going to um, discuss all the viewpoints. They're generally going to teach um, their own viewpoint, which I'm going to do. <laughs> but, um, you know, you can study on your own and you can bring your notes to me and we can sit down. I always like to eat, so bring a cookie or something and we'll talk about it. But um, I wanted to, um, before we get to the reality of sin is what I've titled First John 1, 8, 9. I wanted to give you guys some views of First John. There's two that are primary and the third one's kind of my viewpoint. And um, so... You can take the third one, take it or leave it, I guess. But um, the first two are the primary views. The first view is the test of relationship view, that they hold to the fact that as John's dealing with some of these harder issues as it relates to the commands of the Lord and to loving your brother and all, that those are tests to see whether or not you genuinely belong to the Lord. Um. As you can see uh, here, according to their argument, John provides proofs of true saving faith. Um, the tests are scattered throughout the letter so his audience can know if their belief is genuine. That's kind of the, the way they would phrase that. And you're going to see as we go along that there are tests. There are tests. The question becomes, for you, are they, are they tests of genuine relationship with the Lord or are they tests of fellowship? with the Lord, okay? And you say, with that, does that matter? Oh, it matters. I mean, like, you can walk away with a view, but it matters what your viewpoint is. I do think, from my opinion, that context and word studies truly um, make a big difference so that all of the guys that support these different views, they're going to say that words matter and that definitions matter. There's just going to be a different interpretation. Does that make sense? So like the test of relationship view, John MacArthur has that view. John Piper has that view. You're like, hey, that, why are you, you know, you're, you're moving away from those guys? Well, yeah, <laughs> I just disagree with them. Um, that doesn't mean that John MacArthur is not saved or John Piper is not saved or they don't propagate the gospel. They do. Because you got some equally pretty strong guys in that test of fellowship view. J. Dwight Pentecost, Chuck Swindoll. I mean, so there's, these are, those are the heavy hitters. I'm really down on the, the you know, the, the, the scale. I mean, those guys are way up there, brilliant theologians. I'm just sad. So the test of relationship view is one view. The test of fellowship view says that this are, these are characteristics of fellowship that are discussed throughout the letter. There are tests throughout the letter to determine if these believers were walking in the light, which John starts out with. And the primary focus then, based on chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, is fellowship with the Lord. Now, I want to say at this point, and I'm going to provide you with a chart, I think there's a lot of discussion about relationship with the Lord, and there should be. Can we agree on that? But there's not enough discussion about fellowship with the Lord. I believe that. I don't believe you have to go and sit under someone 
who's teaching First John to figure that out. There's a lot of emphasis and a lot of discussion about whether someone has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important that we know if we do. Wouldn't we agree with that? Absolutely it is. But it's also important to know whether or not we are walking day by day with the Lord. Here's what happens. People, I think, kind of blur things at times and things get confusing for people in congregations. Because the justification and the sanctification piece kind of just are lumped together and there's no distinction. The question becomes, is there a distinction in the Bible? The answer is yes. Okay? You take the book of Romans. He talks about sin in the first three chapters. Chapter 4, he talks about justification. How is one justified? He talks about reconciliation in chapter 5. That one who is justified has what? Peace with God. Well, then you come to chapter 6. And some who hold the test of relationship view look at Romans 6 through 8 as still talking about this issue of justification. It's not. That's my viewpoint. My viewpoint is he's in the area of sanctification from 6 through 8. He takes a pause in 9 through 11 to talk about, hey, he hadn't forgotten Israel. And by the way, that's a very important discussion. And then he picks it up, chapter 12, verse 1, and he begins to talk about, therefore present your members right, yourselves as, as, what, as sacrifices, as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable surface of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. All that, 12, 1 and 2, is linked back to chapter 8 at the end of the chapter. And when you read that in the context and you're like, whoa, look at all this stuff. Yeah, what else can I do but present myself as a living sacrifice? So you don't just run up against, my point, you don't run up against this, these viewpoints just as you're dealing with First John. You're going to run up as you're dealing with Hebrews, as you're dealing with Romans, as you're dealing with First John. And listen, uh, I respect all those guys. And um, so, you know, you may walk away here today going, well, I've never thought about that. Well, that's okay. Start thinking about it. Um, Because I can promise you there are a lot of theologians that have thought about it and written about it for years and years and years and years. Um, This is my viewpoint. And so, like, (laughs) you got some heavy hitters on the front, too. (laughs) This is just one hitter. (laughs) So, um, but I think there's some guys that might believe this is kind of what he's doing as i read through first john i call it the test of fellowship and affirmation of relationship view i think he's not only testing them as it relates to their fellowship their daily walk but i believe along the way he is affirming to his audience yeah you belong to the lord um there's some pretty strong language in there about this first john chapter 2 verse 12 look what he says I am writing to you, little children. It's just affirmation of the relationship. Because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. How many of you like that verse? We're all about that, right? Isn't it nice to know that took place at the moment of salvation? Is there still a need in our daily life for confession of sin? Answer? Yes. We're going to get to that in verse 9. Another verse, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. This is a pretty strong verse as it relates to his audience. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called what? That we would be called what? Do you notice the we there? John's including who? So. (laughs) And he's telling them that what? They're children of God. 
who they are. It's our identity. And such we are. I mean, he, doesn't, he just, in case they didn't, we are. We're children of God. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, in case you didn't get it the first time. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. And this is an incredible verse, one that we long to know. We know that when he appears, we will be what? Like him. And we will see him just as he is. So, hey, that just affirms for me that if I'm one of those original recipients, I'm like, yeah, there's lots of things to deal with as it relates to my daily walk with the Lord, but I'm glad I belong to him. Because you're going to see through this, this letter, there's some hard things he deals with, like following the commands of the Lord. Who does that perfectly? Like loving your brother. You ever hated your brother or sister? Careful when you answer. Right? So for a period of time, careful when you answer. See, because hate hate's somewhat of an ambiguous term. We use the term and, well, I hate that. What does that mean? You hate that. Right? I mean, I hate spinach. What does that mean? Right? Someone says, well, I hate my brother. I hate my sister. And, and they're a believer. Can believers hate? Answer, yes. Do believers hate? Answer, yes. Do believers disobey commands? Answer, yes. So all through this book, there are hard questions. And listen, when I get, there's a couple of passages in here. One's in chapter 3, one's in chapter 5. I might, just, I might do your thing, buddy. I might throw my hands up because they're hard. But that doesn't mean we don't need to explore them. So anyway, I just kind of wanted to kind of give you guys those viewpoints. And you already know them because you've been looking in your study Bible, right? But um, that's okay. I encourage you to, to do that. But I would encourage you to buy a Bible. This is just a commercial. If you don't have a Bible without notes, buy one without notes. Uh, and study from that Bible. Because when I was in school, I remember this. This is a side note. When I was in school in, in, in um, homiletics, it was a preaching class. And when you talk about being scared to death, when you're preaching in front of Dr. Talley and Dr. Hughley and George and Dr. Gannett and uh, who walked on water, who everybody thought walked on water anyway. So it's like you have to stand in front of those guys. And then years ago I went to a preaching seminar with Dr. Stephen Olford and I'm preaching in front of a man who's preaching in front of thousands and thousands of people. And I'm like, Lord, what am I doing? But when you're preaching in front of them, you know, you want to be accurate, right? I mean, who wants to take an assignment to teach or preach and not be accurate? I guess there are people like that, but, but that's not me. I mean, I, I'm somewhat of a perfectionist in things. And um, so I want it to be exactly right. Well, I know as a human, everything's not going to be exactly right. But when it comes to studying the Word and preaching the Word, I want to be right. And I remember several times walking in the homiletics class and having, back then, you would like this. You know, we had to do 10-minute sermons. 15-minute sermons, and 30-minute sermons. And you're like, I've never sat under a guy that did any of that, right? Who preaches a 10-minute sermon? You can't even get a good introduction in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, but it depends on your audience, right? So as I was in those settings, though, one of the things that would always come to the forefront that our professors would always bring out is they bring out that red pen and say, hey, is that what the author's saying? Consider who he's writing to. It just scares you to death, right? And so when you read passages like 
Teachers will incur a stricter judgment. There's a reason for that because we are giving out the word of God. And so, anyway, so I just wanted to kind of give that to you to, to think about today. Um, I gave you, did I, I didn't read this scripture, did I? No, there's another verse there with this, this point of relationship. These things I've written to you that, who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you what, may know that you have eternal life. He wanted them to know, all right? So those are verses that kind of support, I guess, my view, which is test of fellowship and then affirmation of relationship. Last week I ended the message kind of in an odd spot, but I wanted to give you these for today, and I'll have the notes for you next week. We're actually, it's hard to believe this, and I know you will find it hard to believe, we're actually almost at the end of a chapter. Yeah, the first chapter, and it probably seems like we've gone 100 miles an hour, but we really haven't. Um, key components to healthy fellowship. This is good for whatever, wherever your viewpoint is of First John. I wrote some key passages, and those are kind of the themes as you work your way through. Like Ephesians 5, he tells them, you were darkness, now you're light. He's talking about position there. But then he says, walk as children of light. Right, So, in other words, we need to, to, to live and walk like we belong to Him. Don't we? We do. And is, how many of you would say that's the challenge? It is the challenge. And how often is that challenged? Every day, all day. How about that? Okay, in Galatians, I think we talked about this last week, walking by the Spirit. Oh, that's very key, so that we don't carry out the desires of the flesh. And in Colossians, and these are all the things I, I personally came up with. You could, you could make a long list. Walking with a fixed mind. Now, this is one I think that's really critical. Uh, we might have to spend some time on this at some point. But setting your mind on, we know the verses, set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. How easy is that? Not at all. Okay. So Paul talks about the mind and the importance of that. In Philippians as well, chapter 4, verse 8. And then walking in obedience, being separate. Being the word separate there, representing what he says, be holy. Okay? That's the word separate. So he tells us how to do that. And he, in First Peter 1, assumes obedience as obedient children. That's who you need to be. You need to be obedient children. But it's important to understand that it's not obedience that saves us. Okay, we agree on that? Obedience does not save us. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross at Calvary and dying for our sins that saves us. That's how one is justified. One is not justified through obedience. But there are those that kind of, in my, from my viewpoint, kind of skirt close to that line. And again, it's the difference between justification and sanctification. We don't want to make light of justification... But it's not just about justification. When I'm saved, I need to know how to live. Who's going to tell me how to do that? The Lord. Okay. Um, think about your Christian life. Your background determines probably a lot of what you heard. There are a lot of churches out there whose message almost on a regular basis is about justification. Very little about sanctification. Is it wrong for them to preach messages about justification? Answer, no. But equally important is, 
right? We need to talk about sanctification. And I'll tell you a subject that's not discussed a lot, and that's glorification. Guys, our life lived here matters for future reward in our position in the kingdom. One of these days I'm going to do a series on it because it's really critical. It's that motivator, in a sense, to live for the Lord. So I just want to give you those this morning before we begin our time in 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Okay? 8 and 9. I found my glasses, my real glasses. I'm so excited. I went to put a coat on this morning that was not this one. And they were there. They've been in that closet for months. By the way, that'd be, you know, there's treasures, as a side note. There's treasures in our pockets that we have, right? You find treasures, treasures. We talked about last week, tre- treasures under the couch. There's treasures in our pockets as well. All right, look at verses 8 and 9. That's what we wanted to cover this morning. Remember last week, we talked about what John said to these believers in verses 6 and 7. He said, look at verse 6, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, in other words, that's what we're verbalizing, and yet walk in the darkness, that's where we're living. He says, we lie and do not practice the truth. And the question becomes there, can believers walk in darkness? The answer is yes. Can believers walk in darkness for a period of time? That's where people get into pretty heated discussions. Like, no, a believer can't walk in darkness for eight months. Yeah, they can. And yeah, they do, right? Um, David's an example of that. We discussed that last week. Um, the church in Corinth has many examples of people who are living in darkness. And, you know, people, I think one of the things that's understudied and under-discussed um, is that when the testimony of the Lord um, kind of is, is it's being, um, what's the word? It's being ignored by some Christians, uh, the way they live, or they're into things that, that they're doing that are wrong, and they're living in that for a prolonged period. You know, God has judgment. There's judgment for the believer. The Bible tells us that the Corinthian church was um, abusing the Lord's uh, table at the agape feast. And, and, and they, they were not sharing uh, with one another, and they were getting drunk, and, and Paul writes to them, and he says, hey, you know why some are weak, and some are sick, and some are dead among you? Because of that sin. So God deals with sin. I think for us, the hard part is to, to look at a person's life and go, well, they made a profession of faith in Christ, and that's what we have, right? That's what we know. But man, their life is, they just, the last six months, they haven't been living like they belong to the Lord. Well, does that mean they're not justified? doesn't mean they're not justified. So sometimes people say, hey, I belong to the Lord. I'm in fellowship with him, but yet they're walking in darkness. Notice what he says. He says, we lie and do not practice the truth or live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. Now we come to the second if we say that uh, we statement, and that's in verse 8. Look what he says. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not 
in us. That's a pretty packed verse for a very short verse. In your outline, I have not in this life, and to the side of it, I have a blank. That blank there is perfection. In this life, we will not be perfect. Can we agree on that? Not going to happen, okay? In this life, we're not going to be perfect. Um, So John's refuting the argument that some might say, or some might claim, they have no sin. Notice that word is singular there, okay? Theologians have wide agreement that John here is writing about sin nature. All right? So if we claim we have no sin, since we're born again, since we've come to know Christ, if we claim we have no sin, he says we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. That word sin is a very important word to understand. He says if we have no sin, that word sin there means failure. We're going to answer the question in a minute about how in the world could a person get to that point as a Christian where they say they have no sin or no failure. Is it possible that that could even take place? You might be sitting there going, there's no way that can take place. Um, But what if it can? And maybe it does. In my lifetime, I've had at least a handful of people tell me, as born-again believers, they sin no more. Well, how in the world does that even happen? We'll answer that in just a minute. But the word sin means failure. It means to miss the mark. Um, And so John here is pointing out the fact that um, if we say we have no sin, he says, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John's saying, hey, look, when we come to Christ, right, relationship, When we're born again, we still have, even though we're born again and new creations in Christ, we still have that sin nature, right? We still have that wrestling match that takes place in us, and we know that. The Bible is clear about that. Um, In fact, I wanted to show you some, some verses Let's speak to that in just a moment. We'll do that in just a moment. Let me give you my notes here about these words. So I gave you the word sin. It means failure. It means to miss the mark. The word deceiving. Notice it says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The word deceiving refers to one who is wandering off. Okay? It refers to one who's moving away from the center. So the center is that we sin. We do sin. Even though we've been saved from the penalty of sin, we still sin as believers. We still move off center. We wander away. Um, Kind of of illustrate that. Um, Years ago, I was playing golf with Andy Eubanks and Bill White. And I don't remember where we were. But Bill wandered off the cart path in a dramatic way. Andy and I are driving up the cart path to the hole... And we look at each other, where's Bill? Bill had wandered off the path. He's out just riding in the cart. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he's just riding around in the cart. The reality is Bill White sugar was not where it needed to be. He was off the path. That's exactly the idea of the word deceiving. Do we deceive ourselves? 
at times? Answer, yes, we do. And notice he says, and the truth is not in us. Now, that's an important word. The word, the truth, or that phrase there means a fact. Or it can refer to simply reality. So he's saying, you're moving away. You're deceiving yourselves to the point that you're moving away from what is real or reality. And the reality is that we can never claim in this life to be perfect. We sin. So the question becomes, how in the world did these believers potentially get to the point of making that claim? Um, well, in one answer, short answer, false teachers. Okay? Chuck Swindoll makes a really good point about what um, these believers would have been facing in that day. He said the Gnostics believed anything done in the body... Even the grossest sin had no real meaning because real life exists in the spirit realm only. Oh. Well, you say, could a false teacher potentially influence a believer in this way to the point where they were like, hey, look, your flesh is evil. Just go, go do what you want to do. You're not accountable for that. That's what Chuck says. He says, thus there would no be, be no accountability for things done in the flesh. Well, wow, that's a great deal, right? I mean, I can be saved, but then I can just go live like I want to live. What's John saying? Uh, no. No, in fact, he points out in the next verse the importance of continual confession. Um, so Gnosticism was something that certainly could have impacted them to the point of making that statement. And obviously John was worried about it, concerned about it, because he wrote about it. Albert Barnes, in his commentary on 1 John, he said this. I didn't give it to you on the slide because it took so much. Listen to what he says. There were a group of people that were influencing the church. We know this to be true because if you go to the book of Revelation, he mentions the Nicolaitans. Okay, The Nicolaitans or a group of people um, who were influencing others within the church. And we know that from the letters, like I said, in the book of Revelation. This is what he writes. It is probable that the apostle, meaning John, here is referring to some error that was beginning to take hold in the church. Is it possible that error can take place in the church? Answer, yes. Okay? Now, this seems to be pretty strong, pretty strong error. It is. Um, as believers, we don't need to walk around claiming perfection, claiming that we don't sin. But Albert Barnes says that some error that was beginning to take hold in the church. He said, some have supposed that the Nicolaitans, who the Lord Jesus addresses in the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, were influencing the first century believers. And if you read the book of Revelation and you go to a couple of different letters, you're going to see that was taking place. They claimed that nothing was forbidden to children of God under the gospel. That's what they were claiming. And that in the freedom conferred on Christians, they were at liberty to do what they pleased with no accountability. Question, does Christian liberty come into play in the scriptures answer yes it's discussed a good bit question are you and i 
convinced and convicted of things by the Spirit of God? Answer, yes. What is the temptation for man to say to someone else, you don't need to do that? In the area of questionable things. And so it happens where liberty as a believer is questioned. I would encourage us to be led by the Spirit of God. The one who indwells us is the one who leads us into all the truth, the Bible says. Albert Barnes goes on to say, The apostle wanted to take the opportunity to remind his readers that even though they knew the Lord, they were still sinners. Scripture, in fact, affirms that. That even though we are in Christ and we're born again and we're new creations in Christ, we still sin. You say, well, how do you know that? The Bible tells us. In an area of Romans in which he is writing about living a life as a believer, he says, therefore do not sin, let sin what? What's that next word? Do not let sin Rain. That's pretty strong. In your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Here's what happens, I think, when people talk about the discussion of sin. There's a tendency and a propensity to land on the big things. Well, I haven't murdered anybody and I haven't committed adultery. You know, I haven't put a gun to anybody's head. Um, but... Is there pride in your life? Is there hatred for another brother or sister in your life? Are you obeying what you know or the commands of the Lord? You say, with that we don't live under the law. Sure we do. We live under God's law. You say, really? Yeah, we do. You say, well, define that. I will. Just one example. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Is that a command? Answer, yes. Do we obey that perfectly? Answer, no one does. Okay, so there are times when sin can reign. Obviously it can because Paul tells these believers, don't let it. And then in the next chapter, Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 17, Paul's wrestling with his own life, right? The things that he doesn't want to do, he's doing. He says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. You ever been there? If the Apostle Paul's been there, it's a pretty good chance you and I have been there. But I am doing the very thing I hate. Now there's a test for this. How many of you have sinned in your life? How many of you have committed the same sin in your life over and over and over and over and over again. You know what? I'm glad we can relate to Paul. I'm glad when I look at this, I'm going, hey, he wasn't perfect. He said, I'm doing the very thing I hate. And I know that's how it is in my life. I'm just illustrating my life. I'll do something in my life, and I know it's sin, and I'm like, man, you ever done that? He says, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Because the law points us to what? To sin. 
So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Some want to take this verse and point it back to when Paul was first saved, but uh, I am is present tense. He says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. He's not going back. He's talking about then when he's writing to Timothy. I am foremost of all. Right? He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, sin can have its time in our life. In fact, we're reading as elders. We've been reading through Psalm 119. We finished it, I think, in our last meeting, meeting before last. And, and as we're reading through it, you know, we make observations. We talk to one another about them. Psalm 119, 133. Look what the psalmist says. Establish my footsteps in your word. And do not let any iniquity have what over me? Dominion. Can sin have dominion over us? Can. So John says, look, if we claim that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We're wandering away from what is fact. And the fact is that we continue to sin. And in this life, we will not be perfect. See, that's, that's hard stuff. Yeah, it is. Let me encourage you with something. There can be victory in our life. So how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us, right, that we're to glorify God in our bodies. Are there times when we glorify the Lord in our bodies? Answer, yes, we do. So there is encouragement in the fact that there can be victory in our life as Christians in sin areas. But I would encourage us to think about what John's going to talk about here in in a minute in terms of confession that we take this issue of fellowship very seriously that as we are walking in the light, as things are revealed in our lives, that we would be careful to pay attention to every single thing and not be afraid to admit, Lord, I had a bad thought about that person a minute ago. I confess that. And I found, I'm just speaking for me, that as I've been back through this and studying, and I'm like, man, Lord, I have a long way to go. Because we tend to justify things at times as not being so bad. And our measurement tends to be horizontal and not vertical. Well, look at verse 9. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says, if we, and notice again the pronoun we. So John's including who? Himself. Did John need to be saved at this point? Answer? No, I believe he and the apostles were saved. So what's, he's not, this verse is not about salvation. This verse is about fellowship. That's my argument. Now you have the other side of the coin. You have those who uh, believe this is a relationship verse. And I will admit to you honestly that for years I thought that. But the Lord turned And opened my eyes to the fact that this is in the context of fellowship. And it's in the context 
where John is speaking about the importance of him confessing as a believer. And so in this, on your outline it says, in this life, and the blank there is confession. In this life, it's important that we spend time confessing our sins. And he says, verse 9, if we, meaning him, meaning the apostles, meaning them, the believers that he's writing to, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I've already told you he, the author puts himself in the equation. Now, obviously, we know that John was saved at this point. So he's talking about the importance of daily confession. The second thing that you need to see in here that you won't, may not see in your English translation is this. The word our in the text is not our. It's the. You say, well, what's the big deal? It's a huge deal. Read it with the word thee. If we confess these sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us these sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when he says these sins, you know what he's doing? He's saying each specific sin. So that it's confession is not, well, at the end of the day, I lay on my pillow and go, hey, Lord, forgive me for all everything I've done today. It's not this laissez-faire attitude, but it is a, an attitude of, Lord, humble me right now and show me the errors of my ways today. You say, that, that's just way too much effort. You know what I think? I think if we would make that effort with the help of the Lord, you know what I think might happen to us? A little more victory. A little more victory. Because I'll be the first to confess that I've generalized a bunch. You ever done that? Is anything wrong with that in and of itself? No. But John is very careful to use the word thee, not our. These sins. Each specific one. So as we have are walking close to the light and those sins are revealed... We confess those singular sins. And he, he talks about it here. Hey, look, there's more than one sin. He uses the plural, confess our sins. So I'm confessing the sin of not trusting the Lord today with something. I'm confessing the sin of lusting. I'm confessing the sin of coveting. Whatever it is that comes up, that's what John is speaking of. I think it just puts a little more meat on the bone, so to speak. You know, it's not just this passive, I'm sorry for my sins, Lord, but let me have my time with you to confess each of these sins. So he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us the sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's going to do his part. That's the last part of the verse. He's going to do his part. He's faithful and he's right to forgive us the sins. You say, Thad, but... You know, you don't know my life because I've committed this sin of coveting like a thousand times. And I've gone to him and I've confessed that. And, and I know he's forgiven me the first hundred times, but will he forgive me the next 900? Yep. Yes, he will. Because the Bible says here that he does. He's faithful and righteous or right to forgive us the sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that last phrase, most theologians have wide agreement in this, that, that John here is not just talking about the sins that we know that are revealed, but the, the all unrighteousness deals with those things that we don't know, that are unbeknownst to us. And that's when I think, after we've confessed those individual sins, that we say at the end of the prayer, Lord, I don't know how else I've offended you today. I'm quite certain that's happened. Because we know what sin does. What does the Bible tell us that sin does? It grieves the Spirit of God. And so we say, Lord, hey, I'm confessing all my unrighteousness today because I want to walk with you. I want the slate to be clean. Well, J. Dwight Pentecost has a great comment or a great quote on confession. He says, Confession is not generalizing before we fall asleep. It is confessing specific sins to the Lord. I want to give you this chart real quick before we end our time today. Um, This chart points out the difference, and I mentioned it last week, between judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. It's between relationship and fellowship. So... um, Can you see that? I tried to make it as big as I could for you without Amanda's help. When she's out of town, it's trouble. Um, So you can see the different categories there on the left and then the headings there, judicial and parental. And then the different um, phrases that describe that. So the person's status, center. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 the parental issue is a child. Okay? We're children of God. That's how John speaks to these in 1 John. Relationship of God under judicial, he's judge. But parental, he's a father. Hey guys, aren't you glad that he's a father? Whew. Thank you. Right? By the way, Hebrews tells us that he chastens those he loves as a father. The result of sin, eternal death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The parental is broken fellowship. That's what he deals with here in 1 John 1. Broken fellowship. The role of Christ, Savior, under the judicial heading. And then under the parental heading, he's high priest and advocate. We're going to look at that word advocate next week. You're going to love that word. If you don't know it, you need to know it. Um, you want the Lord Jesus as your advocate. Um, the person's need, salvation. That's under the judicial. Under the parental, it's joy of salvation. What does David say in Psalm 51? Did David belong to the Lord? Yeah, he did. Restore unto me what? The joy of my salvation. What hinders that joy? Sin. By the way, this chart came from William McDonald. Thad didn't put this together. Um, means of forgiveness, faith. Acts 16 and then parent, under the parental is um, confession, which we just discussed in 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to give you this chart, but good. Okay, I didn't skip anything. <laughs> kind of forgiveness, judicial in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. And the parental, parental is uh, Luke chapter 15. 
The consequence averted, he says, under judicial is hell. Man, if you stand here today and you've been covered with the righteousness of Christ because you belong to him, hallelujah. Because when he sees you, he sees his son's righteousness. And the consequence averted under the parental is chastening. And the Lord does chasten, as I mentioned earlier, loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ, which we will all be judged, right, that belong to the Lord. It's not a judgment to condemnation, but it's a judgment. And there is a, I'm going to have a hard time stopping, but there's a great uh, misunderstanding, I think, among believers in the church today that, um, that it really doesn't matter how I live as long as I got heaven. Um, it matters how you live because it affects your future in relationship to the kingdom of the Lord and the reward and loss of reward. So then he talks about positive result under the judicial is new relationship. And then under the parental is renewed or restored fellowship. And then the frequency, um, one time. You're justified once. Um, and then... Um, he says under the parental many times, many cleansings. Uh, we'll look at that. It's a great example in John 13. We don't have time to do that this morning. I wanted to play a video for you this morning. Um, it's, it's the history of the, of the uh, hymn, Come Thou Fount. Um, and there's a, a line in there that I think kind of illustrates some of what we talked about today. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to what? Leave the God I love. So this gives kind of some context to it. I think you'll find the, the story pretty uh, incredible. So let's, let's look at that, Ron. Robert Robinson was born in England in 1735. Eight years later, his father died. Robert's mother couldn't control him so she sent him away to a trade school in London to work as an apprentice to a barber. When he arrived, he spent most of his time with a local gang, causing trouble and getting drunk. One night, when Robert was about 17, he and his friends decided to go to an old gypsy fortune teller shop. They got her drunk so she would tell them their fortunes for free. The fortune teller pointed her finger at Robert and told him that he would live a long life and would see both his children and grandchildren born. Robert thought, if this is true, I can't keep living like this. George Whitfield, a great revival preacher, was speaking one night, and Robert and his friends went to heckle him and to torment the crowd. The preacher was quoting John the Baptist as he confronted the overly religious, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Whitfield burst into tears, yelling, Oh, my hearers, the wrath to come, the wrath to come. Whitfield's message haunted Robert for three years before he finally gave his life to Jesus. Robert immediately felt a call to pastoral ministry. Over his lifetime, he pastored a number of churches, wrote volumes on theology, and also penned several hymns. In 1 Samuel 7.12, 
we read how Samuel set up a stone altar commemorating God's help and salvation after a victory of God's people over the Philistines. He called the stone Ebenezer, which means stone of help. These verses resonated with Robert inspiring the song, Come Thou Fount, which is literally his altar of remembrance for the saving work of Jesus in his life. It is a plea for the Spirit to fill us, enabling us to remain faithful in spite of our wandering hearts. And a wandering heart indeed he had. Late in life, Robinson strayed from the faith. Then one day, in a stagecoach, he sat by a lady who was reading from her hymn book. Not knowing the stranger sitting next to her, she turned to him and told him how much she loved this hymn. He tried to change the subject, but couldn't. Finally, he said, Madam, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give everything to discover the joy that I had then. The good news is Robinson's life did not end in the far country. In that encounter with the lady in the stagecoach, God used the very gospel words he once wrote as they were spoken from the mouth of this anonymous woman to draw him to repentance and back to a restored fellowship with whom there is streams of mercy never ceasing. Isn't that an incredible story? Uh, a man who needed to be restored in his fellowship. Maybe you're sitting here today and that's where you are. You need to be restored in your fellowship with the Lord. Uh, or maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. It can be that too. I trust that today could be the day of salvation for you. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you so much um, that you allow us to be uh, in your presence, all made possible through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would um, help us to consider our life lived each day for you. Help us to consider, Lord, um, the way we're living our life. And, uh, and ask the question, are we being pleasing to you? And, uh, Lord, in those areas that you show us that um, we need to confess that, Lord, we would do that. None of us in this room are perfect. We are not going to achieve perfection in this life. Prone to wonder is the reality of who we are, and yet, Lord, we're saved. We're saved by your grace. If we belong to you, I pray that we would live by your grace. And Lord, as we have opportunities to speak into the lives of other people about you and about your work and what you've done in our lives, we'd be faithful to take those opportunities. And all this I pray in the precious name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. Let's all stand. And... Um, in Revelation 4, as, uh, as John continued to write about the vision God had given him near the end of his life, he's writing about um, the 24 elders, and he says this, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And here's the why. He says, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So we're not in heaven yet. We're here on earth today. Um, but it's right that you and I declare that he's worthy to receive glory and honor. He's the creator. 
Isn't it awesome to think about the fact that, yes, he holds the whole world in his hands, but he holds your world in his hands, no matter where you're at today. He's got you if you're in him. Let's sing about it.
Appreciate y'all's ministry this morning, and thank you, buddy, for sharing with us. And the Lord puts it all together, right? I just wanted to make mention of uh, baptism. Two weeks from today, we will have baptism. And um, I would encourage you, if you're born again, that you would consider the um, instruction to baptism, the command the Lord gives us. It's um, a tremendous opportunity for you to testify that you belong to the Lord. And so, you know, you may be out there and you may be 65 years old and have never been baptized. I would encourage you to to consider that, to pray about it. I'll be careful with you when we're in the tank. And um, But I think it's, it's just a tremendous time and opportunity for all of us as a body of believers to witness what the Lord is doing in the lives of people. So... You consider obeying the Lord in that, and um, I would love to meet with you. I'll need to meet with you if you would like to be baptized, so you can either contact me or contact the church office and set up a time um, where we can meet. So I look forward to that two weeks from today. You look forward to that. You pray about that, who God might lead to that. Wouldn't it be a wonderful time to be able to witness um, what the Lord is doing in the lives of those that belong to him. All right. Well, you are dismissed. Hope you have a wonderful afternoon.